As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. We're back after our festive break to talk all the blues news and blues from over the festive period. Today we'll be discussing Frank Lampard's future following Sunday's dismal defeat to Manchester City. We'll answer your questions and look ahead to Saturday's probable FA Cup meeting with Morecambe. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello listener, hope you Christmas well, Happy New Year and all. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, here to guide you through the choppy waters of Chelsea's winter months in the company of the Athletics Blues experts. I'm talking, of course, about Simon Johnson. Hi, Simon. Hello, Happy New Year. And to you, uh, Liam Toomey's with us too. Morning, Liam. Hello, nice quiet start to 2021. <laughs> As always. And to Dominic Fifield. how you doing, Dom? Good, thanks, Matt. How are you? Yes, really well, thank you. Well, two of our trio broke a big old story on Sunday night. We'll discuss that next. But first, we have a new offer for you. You can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021, as well as ad-free podcasts via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod for all the info. So in the wake of Chelsea's wretched defeat to Manchester City on Sunday, Simon and Liam broke a story for The Athletic, which revealed that Frank Lampard's job as Chelsea head coach is under threat and that alternatives are being looked at. Uh, Briefly on the game, Liam, before we get to the story, was this the nadir of Chelsea's season in in terms of performances or or was it just a case of City were far too good for them? Arsenal was worse because you have to take into account the opposition and City were were genuinely excellent for probably a good hour of the game. They they also set up really intelligently to exploit Chelsea's weaknesses, defending in transition and not playing a true striker, which of course is is tra- a trademark part of, of Pep Guardiola's game plan. They They were just super fluid, super fast. And in a vacuum, there's no shame in losing to a team like that and to a coach like that. But I think the manner in which Chelsea weren't even competitive for, for most of the game was what was really damaging. Um, and, and within the broader context of the results over the last month was the most damaging thing for Lampard. So I, d- I don't think in and of itself it was the lowest point 
um, but it, it certainly made the kind of broader trajectory of of, of things feel a lot worse. And, and Dom, in, in in terms of the the actual match, the contrast between the the tactical approaches from from the two coaches didn't do Lampard any favours. You know, you had. Guardiola setting up his team to give arguably their best performance of the season and Chelsea with a, a midfield that was MIA and a, and a front three that just couldn't click at all. Yeah, strangely, you wouldn't have said that after 15 minutes, though. Fifth, City yeah, and were they could very, well have had poor. a penalty, of course, at that point, which is probably Indeed. worth pointing out. Indeed, and, and, and City were off the boil for the first quarter of an hour. Uh, but when they clicked into gear, yes, they they, they blew Chelsea away and, and the deficiencies were were laid bare. I mean, I'd like to have known how many supporters would have objected to the, say, the forward three when the team sheet came in. I mean, that that is seeing seeing Werner centrally, Pulisic in the team, Ziyech restored. That that's probably what a lot of lot of fans have been wanting for a while. It didn't work. Uh, maybe the the biggest criticism of of Lampard from from the game on on Sunday would be. Did he react swiftly enough to, to when it was very obvious it was veering away from them out on the pitch? And that might have been a, a, a tactical tweet well before half-time. I mean, in that 20-minute that burst when, when City just motored out of sight, is there anything that could have been done in that period to, to stem the flow? And that, that may have been a, throwing on a, a Giroud, trying to link up play, trying to get that front three more coherent. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, something along those lines. Just try something different because the, the result was settled by by the interval. It was always too late by then for, for Chelsea to mount any kind of meaningful recovery. Um, so it was a chasing experience um, for him and yet another education for both him and his players. And uh, yeah, the implication being that time is running out for him to, to learn from matches like that. Wasn't that long after full time, Simon, that that you and Liam published your piece, which um, took the internet by storm? I think it's fair to say. It, just talk us through the the timing of, of when it came out and what the thinking was behind that. Yeah, sure. I mean, we we we, we did attract a few comments about this. Um, now, it, it's always very uh, awkward um, to have a story like this, and we actually had been gathering information for a number of days. Uh, and it was something that we were debating in-house about when to write a story like this. Of course, we were getting information all the time. Um, the Athletic, we we definitely don't like putting out just sort of the, the most basic of gossip. We like to double, treble, quadruple check our sources. And, and trust me, we had a number of um, sources on this. And not all of the information that we've gathered is, is in the piece that, that me and Liam put out. But you have to remember that when, when you're talking about the possibility of a manager going, if you put out a story before a game, um, you can always run the risk of looking a bit silly. Um, because if if a team goes on to win a game, then people will be questioning well, hang on a minute, they've just beaten Manchester City. Whilst the game was going on, we were continuing to get even more information because you can imagine that phones were really buzzing as each goal that Man City was scoring was going in. And, you know, the same people that we'd been talking to for a few days were continuing to chip in with um, updates and sort of talk about what was going on. So 
look, we had the story ready to go. We chipped in a few other bits and pieces and we just felt this is a moving story. We have to be the ones, especially as we've been on top of the story for days, that we had to get it out there straight away because, um, yeah, it's a very, very sort of fast-moving situation with Chelsea. A decision could be made at any point and that includes the shortly after the final whistle, which has been known in the past that Chelsea managers have gone uh, very soon after a game. Liam, we'll, we'll get to kind of Lampard in general shortly, but just lastly on, on the mechanics of a, of a piece like this, it's fascinating what Simon's saying about sources kind of updating you th- throughout the game and, and so on, and in the days leading up. I just wonder what, what vested interest these sources have. I wouldn't expect you to, to reveal them, but it's it's intriguing to me that, that people would be keeping journalists updated like this. Yeah, well, I think it's people in football talk all the time anyway, uh, but then you have journalists building relationships with people uh, and we have a lot of excellent journalists at The Athletic who've built long-standing relationships with people who are very connected to Chelsea, um, to people at the top of the club and the way that they're thinking at any given moment. So th- those are the kinds of things that are happening. It's a, it's a human impulse, you know, that... The, the people at the top of, of Chelsea and, and the, the people that they may be talking to will be talking about a game like that just as any kind of Chelsea fan would watching it. Um, and they might be saying slightly different things, but they, they will still be remarking on a performance like that. Um, and, and so that's all part of the information gathering process that goes into a piece like this. And just to follow up on something else that Simon said, in addition to the risk of looking silly, if Chelsea were to beat Manchester City and and you'd run a piece like that ahead of the game, there's also the, the risk that beating Manchester City materially changes the nature of the situation. You know, like if Chelsea had, had won that game and beaten a Guardiola team, that's the kind of result that has the potential to have a galvanising impact and to maybe reassure a few people um, at a key moment about whether this team is going in the right direction. So I think it was the the responsible thing to do to wait to see how the the game played out um, and and continually check back with the people that we'd been getting information from to see if the situation was changing or if what we were seeing was was really a continuation of what we'd been hearing over the over the previous days. Um, and as it turned out, given the nature of Chelsea's performance as much as the result, it was very much a, co- a continuation and something that doesn't help Lampard's situation, but probably makes it worse. Uh, here's a question that's come into us via Twitter from Neil Robbins. I'll put it to you, Dom. He asks, what does Lampard do to turn this round? Seems strange that not long ago he was discussing tactical adaptability as an asset, yet he's been anything but flexible recently, sticking to 4-3-3 throughout this period. That, that, that really stood out to me in Sunday's game. They were so obviously losing the tactical battle and yet the substitutions, A, took a while to come and B, were, were like for like rather than, than changing the formation. Yeah, and Lampard's problem over the festive period has been he hasn't had time probably on the training ground at Cobham to, to instigate any changes that he he might have thought might bring more out of the, the players at his disposal. Um he now has, in theory, pretty much a full week um, to work towards Morecambe, which you'd imagine will be a 
shadow team put out. So then he, he, uh, he can add another four days next week ahead of the Fulham fixture. I think it's a Friday night game. Um, so there is time now for him to do that. But I don't know whether he'll be given that time. It's You can also look at that that period as a sort of almost like a mini international break and what happened in normal seasons around international breaks, clubs see them as opportunities to bring new managers in. So there is that that issue for him. I mean, I, I, as we said in the initial answer about the Man City game, there, there has been an inflexibility there tactically. He hasn't been able to get the best out of Werner of late and definitely any, no real point has he got the best out of Havertz. When you combine that with those players adapting to new surroundings, uh, alien surroundings, um, given COVID and behind closed doors and all that nonsense, um, it's not easy for, for that. When you've got so many players actually coming into new a new environment in one summer, it's 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 difficult for them to to integrate and click. So it's 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 not an easy scenario. I suppose those who doubt him would argue that he should have done a lot better addressing those issues. I I, I think it's such a difficult such a difficult scenario given the way this season is as well. I think it's it's almost become a perfect storm in that in that sense. And and the, the way that the, the confidence has drained away since that Everton fixture and the results have deteriorated is alarming in itself. But, that, that you want to see evidence that he can arrest that, and I don't think we're seeing that at the moment. No, we're not. And, and Simon, December's been or was so dreadful. Before that, though, Chelsea was seventeen unbeaten. Have you got a theory as to to why the wheels have fallen off so spectacularly? There's been a, been a few murmurs of discontent amongst players, which I guess is kind of what you get when the manager's under pressure. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it's a happy camp for one thing, but I, one thing that is has been very noticeable since the Leeds game which if you remember, we were talking about um, the first team to outrun Leeds. I think it was Chelsea's sort of most impressive sort of physical performance in terms of as a team, they they outran their average. It was their best return. We've seen nothing of that since. And they look tired. They look a team that are shattered. Players seem to be like running through sand. One of the goals that really summed up for me was the Saka goal that Arsenal scored, the, the 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 cross that went in, which kind of, again, talking about the perfect storm uh, Dom referred to there, there are things like that going against them. But the ease in which Arsenal just went up the pitch without a challenge, and if you, if you watch the clip back, there are players jogging. I just think all the intensity has gone out of gone out of the team's play. They're not they're not pressing as a team, they're not playing as a team. They're flat, they're devoid of confidence and one has to question whether everyone is playing for the manager right now. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Here's a question from at Don Caratasi, who says, Lampard definitely feels like a dead man walking, so is it good to keep him in place until the end of the season? Liam, Chelsea won't do that if they want to get rid of him, will they? We we know that the club acts swiftly in in times like this. If if they want to make a change, it will happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, if they they reach the decision 100% firmly that Lampard is, is not the man to take this team forward and that, and in particular that, you know, Champions League qualification is in jeopardy and that the immediate prospects of this team are are not good. History tells us that they will not hesitate to to make a change and Chelsea will always back themselves um to to find a, a coach and to attract a coach of the required quality, regardless of what the market is at at any given point. We know now that Mauricio Pochettino is off the market and he's someone that they've liked for a long time. Um, you know that the, the timing didn't work out before Lampard was hired because he was still at Spurs, um, but he he's certainly someone that that would have been high on the list had he not taken the PSG job. But that doesn't materially affect things. If they decide they need a change, they will always back themselves to to find someone um, who they have more confidence in to to maximise the group of players that they've got. That said, they they did lose faith in Antonio Conte or grow enraged by him and his political manoeuvrings um, halfway through that, actually earlier than that, in the summer after winning the title um, and put up with him for that, the entirety of that second season to the extent that the relationship had completely broken um, as he's going to collect the FA Cup at Wembley. Um, so they, they waited then. And, and you could argue with Sari, Sari was a dead man walking after those dreadful results in the the turn of the year of, of his his solitary campaign in charge and yet he carried on until the end of that season as well so they're not averse to keeping these dead men walking in in position until they feel that the time is right for a change or if there's no one available mid-season then then you just carry on and make the change at the end of the season. Simon, I guess there are a couple of names who, who are available and that, that might speed things up. Like Sir Thomas Tuchel and, and Max Allegria too, who I'm sure will be um, will be heavily linked should Lampard lose his job. Undoubtedly, and it is a very easy link um, to make. And, and obviously, managers that are out of work are, are going to be far easier um, to bring in than, than managers that aren't. Yeah, it goes without saying, because you're avoiding all the... The chat about compensation, um, the, the awkward political um, discussions you have with other clubs about taking their manager. If there's someone just sitting there um, ready to be hired, then um, then clearly they're going to be in your thoughts. Um, whether the club are sort of having some some sort of regret that, um, as Liam sort of mentioned, that they've they've perhaps let Pochettino go to PSG, um, I think is a very sort of valid point to raise. Um, if they're having doubts, then you had a ready-made man that knows Premier League very well, knows London very well, um, just sitting there. Whether his appointment would have been popular with Chelsea fans, it's uh, it's it's one to question because, of course, getting rid of a Chelsea legend for a ex-Spurs manager 
you're dancing a very uh, dangerous uh, tune to a very dangerous tune there. But I think the problem for Chelsea is stick or twist because it's all very well getting rid of a manager. You have to have the right man to replace him. And, and I think that's part of the discussions that are going on at the moment is, you know, who's out there? Who do we think is good enough? Are there better men that might be available in the summer? It's it's a very complicated process and perhaps that's why we might not get an answer to this question for a while yet. But knowing Chelsea, they could be right now, be <laughs> as we're recording, uh, compiling Frank Lampard's P45 and, and getting the next man in place. It's a, it, with, with, with Chelsea, as we say in the piece, it's a very fluid situation that can change at any point. Just to add finally, I mean, just to follow up on what Simon was saying, this is why we did not predict when Lampard might be sacked because that is a fool's game. Um, It's always a fool's game, particularly with Chelsea, because it is basically the decision of one man um, and he might not even know himself yet. The, The point of the story was simply to point out that these conversations are now being had in a way that is not abstract. You know, they are actively talking about people that could replace Lampard and and we know from the history of the Abramovich era that once these conversations start they tend to only end one way. Liam what's been the reaction from from supporters not only to the piece but but generally what what do you think the mood is is like amongst Chelsea fans you you can tend to kind of get lost in the echo chamber of Twitter I think sort of more generally is there is there more support for Lampard or, or or do people think that it's time to move on? Honestly, I don't. I don't think the Chelsea fan base will ever be united again <laughs> on anything. Um, Thanks, because, social media. Yeah. Well, because I, I thought if anyone um, after after Sarri and the, and the sort of divisiveness of that, particularly online, um, which wasn't Sarri's fault, incidentally, it was all happening around him. Uh, I thought if anyone could bring Chelsea fans together and sort of rally behind a common cause, it would be the club's greatest ever goal scorer and arguably greatest ever player. Uh, but that hasn't been the case from very early in the Lampard tenure. There, there has always been a vocal section of Chelsea fans who have been very critical of him, um, very, very quick to, to say that he's not the man for the job, which is perfectly possible that, that it's true and it's a valid opinion to hold. But um, he certainly didn't get a lot of slack from, from, from a certain section of the Chelsea fan base and, and those voices have grown louder as these these results um, have, have continued and, and particularly since things have dipped over the last month. So the reaction to our story in the, so the last 24 hours has been predictably mixed. Um, there are Chelsea fans who, who want to see Lampard given as much time as, as humanly possible to make this work because of the emotional bond that they feel to him. Um, and there are Chelsea fans that didn't think he was the right man in the first place and, and don't feel that same level of emotional um, kind of sentimentality, I guess you might call it. I just think that Chelsea have made this bed. You know, the way they've treated managers and been rewarded for it um, since Abramovich came in, keep pointing out that no club no English club has won more trophies since Abramovich bought them in 2003. So this hiring, firing um, attitude, which bizarrely generally has brought positive results, means that 
as soon as Chelsea start losing, not only are the club thinking, well, should we make a change? You're going to have a section of the fan base that are always going to go, well, get the next man in because Chelsea is about winning trophies. It's not about finishing fourth. And Chelsea haven't gone two seasons in a row without winning a trophy in the Abramovich era. So the moment that things are going wrong, then not only, as I said, not only are the club going to be thinking about it, you're going to have a lot of fans that are saying, right, let's let's go get someone else in that can work better with the squad we have available because the, the players that Chelsea have right now is full of internationals and certainly shouldn't be losing four games in the last out of the last six. But if you're Frank Lampard, you will argue, rightly, that he had to go a whole year without bringing any players in that he wanted. And he's only had four months, less than four months, to work with the new buys. And there was always going to be rocks in the road. It's not been helped either that some of the key players, like Zayash and Pulisic, started their first game together against Manchester City. You know, that you would imagine that those two would be in his starting lineup week in, week out. Chelsea once again in a in a in a real stick or twist situation and this always comes to a head when there's fears about missing out on Champions League football for the following season, which you have to bear in mind, we haven't touched on the financial results yet. But Chelsea posted a profit, which is great, but that was because the Hazard and Morata money came in and the summer buys weren't really included. So next year's accounts, it's really going to hit them hard and they're going to need Champions League football to uh, continue their rebuild. Simon's hit the, the, the nail on the head there. It's, it's, it's about top four. Um, for all the talk of trophies, it, top four is bare minimum. And, it, and in that context, to see Chelsea, I think it's eighth at the time, of, the time we're talking, but... Okay, only three points technically off the off the top four, but look at the number of clubs between them and the top four. Um, some of them resurgent, like Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur under Jose Mourinho will hurt as well. You put that into context, and you also know this won't be a surprise to Lampard as well. I was looking back over what he said at his his first press conference as Chelsea's manager. He was asked whether the club had said that top four is the is top four the bare minimum you need to achieve? He said they hadn't. Told, he hadn't told him that. They don't need to say that. It's very clear that we are a club that, generally, barring a couple of seasons in recent years, are a club that's managed to be top four or winning titles. One of the benefits is I know the club. I understand what is expected. So it was not even a conversation that I needed to have. So he knows. He he knows that, that is what he has to achieve. And at the moment, they're threatened. And as soon as they're threatened, any Chelsea manager over the years, as soon as that is threatened, they put out feelers for, for possible replacements. And that kind of answers the last question I was going to chuck in from a listener came from Zaid. Why can't Chelsea demonstrate the same patience that United and Arsenal have shown with their managers? Well, the answer to that, Zaid, is because Chelsea always want to finish in the top four and win trophies. Let's finish then with, with a quick straw poll. Yes or no? Will Frank Lampard still be Chelsea head coach at the end of the season? Don, what do you think? I think he might limp onto the summer personally uh, because I, I can't see a replacement out there. But I, I wouldn't anticipate unless they, he he instigates a very fine upturn in results. 
if 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 they fail to qualify for the Champions League, uh, th- this period will be held against him, and uh, that will cost him his job ultimately. What do you think, Liam? So after everything I've said, Matt, you're asking me to predict when he's going to be sacked. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a really tough one to call. I would say the way things are looking right now, um, and this is a prediction that is a prisoner of the moment, I'd say it's probably more likely or than not that he doesn't see out the season. Because if these performances continue, um, then I, I can't see how this goes on much longer if considering that conversations are already happening. But I, I, I wouldn't rule out that he, that he stumbles on. I mean, it, it looked for, as Dom said earlier, it looked at a certain stage as if it was absolutely nailed on that, that Sarri was going to be sacked and he managed to last till the end of the season and ended up winning the Europa League and getting top four. So I I, I probably put it more than 50% that, that he doesn't last the season, but it's it's a really tight one to call. That means you get the casting vote then, Simon. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Run for cover. Look, I, I hope he stays. I fear he won't. The, the thing about Lampard, though, is he showed in his playing career, he, lo- he, he loves proving people wrong. He almost thrives in adversity um, and the pressure. This is a different challenge, of course, because it's not just about him as an individual. He's got to turn around a whole camp He's also got to perhaps ease concerns at a much higher level in the boardroom. Perhaps there's hope in in sort of some of the teams that have beaten him, sort of namely Arsenal. I mean, you look at you look at Arteta, who was who was hanging on the ropes there. They've now won just three games, and the nature of this season is that kind of run is going to get you back into the kind of positions that will will keep him safe. But as we sort of talked at the start the moment the club start having these kind of conversations you have to sort of think it's a matter of when not if all right well time will tell on that one next we're going to look ahead to the fa cup looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Chelsea supposed to be kicking off their FA Cup campaign with a third round tie against Morecambe at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. I say supposed to. Morecambe's last two games have been postponed because of a number of positive cases at the League Two club at time of recording. Uh, no word on how that's going to affect Sunday's match. It does, though, Dom, raise a wider issue. Should we not just scrap the FA Cup this year? I mean, the, the, the fixture list is so congested. No supporters around to see the games. I love the FA Cup, but like in 1992 or the 60s, not not the watered-down version we see these days. Do away with it for a year and, and see if absence makes the heart grow fonder? 
Well, that was probably a decision that should have been made last summer, given that some clubs must have played about 10 games in the FA Cup up to this point. Maybe not that many um, because of the lack of replays, but it would be a bit uh, tardy to suddenly decide that there isn't room in the schedule. We've, we've known we've known that this was coming full season. We, we also probably anticipated the winter being harder than the summer in terms of COVID cases. Uh, there was always likely to be a wave of, of of new cases coming in when the cold weather hit. So it's too late on that front. They've, they've done away with replays, which is a which is a big a, a big thing, big advantage. Um, the rules seem slightly different in terms of the number of players you need to to have available to com- uh, to to fulfil a fixture. Slightly different to the Premier League um, after the new strain emerged of COVID-19 so I, I think you just have to muddle on by and, and yeah, it's all very very different I imagine that a lower, lower league clubs will still benefit in some way from television money somehow not as much as they would have done in the in the past presumably because I think every game is televised in, in the FA Cup from now on in just as every game is televised in the Premier League but if that decision was going to be made it had to be made last summer before non-league clubs started playing in the in the, the initial qualifying rounds I mean they probably started them in July or July they would normally anyway so when they they've been they've been playing FA Cup ties for a long time uh, EFL clubs by the way not subject to, to mandatory twice weekly testing but they are going to be tested this week ahead of these games which feels like a, a bit of a face saving measure from the EFL and the FA, so they don't get a rush of postponements, but we'll see. Um, in terms of the, uh, this match, I guess, Simon, this might actually give us a good indication when we see the starting eleven as to who's available for transfer in, in the <laughs> January window. You know, If we see Andreas Christensen not in the squad like he wasn't against Manchester City, then maybe we think, hmm, he could be off for Kayo Tomori, people like that. You would expect them to feature in this game if they've got a future at Chelsea. Yeah, and and... Look, this January is um, you know it's almost like touching on Lampard again. But as I wrote in a in a piece on the, on the transfer window and what what we can expect, that there is a real concern has been for a while about how bloated this squad is and how unhealthy a situation that that pre- presents itself at the training ground when you've got loads of people just kicking a ball in anger because they're not playing on a regular basis. Um, I would expect, yeah, a, a mass rotation against Morecambe. Um, whether there is as many changes, given the need for Lampard to get a result, I know that, of course, Chelsea should should beat Morecambe comfortably, regardless of who they pick. But, you know, Chelsea need a win of any kind. So one wonders whether Lampard's thinking will change a little. Um, but there have been youngsters brought into the first team bubble like Lewis Bates, um, like Livermento, with this game in mind to perhaps give them a run out. And you'd expect Tino you know, Andrew in to get a game, etc. Billy Gilmore, one would expect he'll get a start. Um but yeah, like like I'm kind of rambling on here, Chelsea desperately need a win, so perhaps there might not be so many changes from the starting lineup as one might have thought there would have been a few days ago. Uh, Liam, it, it would be good to see some of the under twenty threes get some get some valuable time with with the first team and see what it's all about. I'm, I'm thinking of the likes of Petacek, <laughs> fresh faced Petacek. Um, yeah, this was a a piece that I wrote a few days ago that that kind of looked back at his outing for the development squad as well. And 
kind of raised the point that I'm, I don't think a comeback is a good idea. <laughs> uh, beyond beyond the obvious political problems it could cause with the established first team goalkeepers who have actually signed up to play for Chelsea in games like this, as opposed to the technical and performance advisor, Czech doesn't really fit the the mould of uh, of the modern sweeper keeper, and I think that was a big part of him retiring when he did, which was certainly I think a little bit earlier than. Than, than you've seen other goalkeepers hang up their gloves. Um, he's he was never particularly good or reliable with the the ball at his feet, as exceptional as he as he always was at the the fundamentals of goalkeeping. Um, and of course, none of this might matter if you were to play him against Morecambe. But it's it's the broader issue of what is the point of having him in the uh, in the in in the squad um, and on the Premier League squad list if he doesn't really fit with with the way that the team wants to play now. Um, but it, it's certainly an opportunity to see to see some of the younger boys. Um, one of the ones I'm more excited to get a look at is, is Tino Livramento in a, in a first-team setting because he, he's just such a dynamic presence on the wing. Uh, kind of a throwback when he's, when he's playing on the wing because he's, he's not one of these wide forwards that cuts inside and shoots. He's, he's, he's an old-fashioned beat-you-to-the-byline and, and, and put in a really deadly accurate cross his his cutbacks are, are absolutely fantastic so he's someone I'm excited to see and and and, and maybe we get a chance to look at, at Lewis Bate and, and Tino Andrin as well yep going to be interesting when the team sheet drops so 1.30 kickoff UK time on Sunday for that we will of course react to it in next week's show uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news uh, yeah, nothing, not much. Uh, Chelsea's women's academy and development sides all on their winter break at the moment. See, they'll resume their campaigns later this month. The women's team are first. They go to Reading on Sunday. Uh, that's just about it for this week. Normally at this point, I get the boys to plug their pieces, but that lamp scoop Simon and Lee served up has pretty much done the job for me. Uh, if you aren't yet a subscriber, there's a good reason to be one. For the sake of formatting consistency, let's trail some pieces anyway. Uh, Dom, you've been scouring the January transfer sales for potential bargains. Yeah, 10, 10 players that might be on the move, p- players that are either coming into the last six months of their contracts or uh, would would maybe be available if they're playing in France, for example, with the collapse of Media Pro and, and the, the broadcast deal over there. That there's a suggestion that Ligue 1 clubs could be slightly more susceptible to bids from Premier League cl- teams. And there are a few little starlets from the, from the EFL as well, um, the likes of Joel Randall at, at Exeter. Max Waters at, uh, at Crawley Town, who, who clubs are scouting. Uh, Liam, have you got anything in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Well, I mean, Simon and I will will be obviously treating the Lampard situation as, as priority number one. Uh, and, and this story is very much only just beginning. So that, that will be taking up a lot of our time. But I'm also working on a piece this week about Kai Havertz and trying to dig into exactly why he struggled um, beyond the things that have that have been mentioned about his adaptation to the Premier League and, and maybe taking a, a bit more of a tactical look about how Chelsea could get the best out of him. Uh, how about you, Simon? I can only plug at the moment pieces I've done already because, um, as Liam said, we're, we're talking uh, the main priority is what's going on news-wise um, with Frank and possible replacements, etc. So, yeah, pieces that... that that perhaps relate to it. Um, I wrote a piece about Frank Lampard's position in the points per game ratio. Um, he's actually dropped a position since I wrote it. He's now below Andre Villas-Boas, um, which isn't the best reading uh, and perhaps is more evidence of why 
the club are considering making a change. But I, I sort of put forward an argument of perhaps why the table doesn't really tell the full story, um, that perhaps as a stat it, it, it doesn't make good reading for Lampard. But, you know, there are a number of factors that perhaps has contributed to why the points return isn't that great. And perhaps for a bit of nostalgia to sort of try and um, forget the misery of the last few weeks, um, I did a review of the year 2020, which already seems like a long time ago, where, yeah, I just talk about you know Chelsea's highlights of the year. And, and, and as I sort of touched on a few minutes ago, um, it's well worth reading the, uh, the January window plans, uh, sensible transfers. Although one wonders uh, with uh, a manager possibly coming in, whether some of these um, possible decisions will change um, because inevitably a new manager will have different ideas about what he wants in his squad. Time will tell. Remember, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021 as well as ad-free podcast via the app. Just go to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod for all the info. I will be back again next week when producer Adonis will still be head coach of this team. Dom, Simon and Liam will be here too, as will I. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye.